Namutasa Bhagavatu Sama Samudasa Namutasa Bhagavatu Sama Samudasa Namutasa Bhagavatu Sama Samudasa And for all beings, may they be imbued with wisdom, compassion, and non-clinging awareness. Did you get a chance to uh, try a little bit of um, movement and stopping and movement and stopping? No? And discover anything? Any discoveries? Did you enjoy it? No? Good, good, good. Well, I might introduce another list tonight. <laughs> Like this. List tonight? <laughs> 40 degrees. 40 degrees list. 49th list. No, I'm going to have some fun. T- we'll have some fun tonight. I want to um, show you some things but with the scorpions. But uh, any, any questions you might have? I really enjoy your questions. It's good. comes from, sometimes comes from practice, comes from experience. If you have any. Mm-hmm. You have to speak speak up. It's so much easier to meditate in the group and if you're present than to do it alone. <laughs> <laughs> what a difference. That's why that's also why I encourage people in Vancouver to get together with like like minded people and practice together. It's important because some people for a long time need a lot of support to be able to um, use each other's uh, good energy. Uh, or overcome that's not so good, but but use um, a community energy to help makes it can make a huge difference for for lots of people. Some people are very solitary. Uh, some people really need a group for support. Some people in retreat uh, do much better by having a lot more group uh, activity. Others do very very well uh, solitary, and some in the middle. So usually that's I design retreats the way I do it is half the day. Um, or not quite half the day uh, together, and the rest of the day um, uh, solitary, and then periods of more more solitary. So you have to get to the point where you don't need a group, but it can be dramatic. Or if you have a good affinity for uh, one's teacher, and you have a good, um, what's the word, sync? You know that, that sync? Now like putting two Macs together? Two, putting two computers together and they transfer files. Uh, that's where you sync. If you have that syncing ability, I don't mean that syncing ability, but <laughs> that syncing ability. In sync. In sync. Then uh, it can be very speedy. Very, very speedy. And then that's helpful for the recollection when you do it alone. That's right. And that's also why, out of compassion, um, people that have experience of uh, liberation or dharma and dharma um, go out and uh, be with people so they get to uh, feel and experience what that's like. That's direct. That one doesn't do from a uh, podcast and from a DVD or a recording, unless you know the teacher very well. You can feel that. But uh, it's important to actually learn um, by more 
than just visual and more than just hearing. You have to be in the space of another being. That's very important. Yeah. Any, any others? Good observation. Any others? Well, I want to, this, uh, I noticed that the poster downstairs says Foundations of Mindfulness, which I think is partly on the title of this, this retreat, this uh, weekend. Um, so we've gone over some, some very big foundations of mindfulness, or of, of, of sati. But there is a, a commonly referred to foundation of, uh, of mindfulness, if you wish, or sati, which is referred to, and that comes from a very as I said yesterday, and some of you have read this before and had courses on this, but it comes from a very early uh, teaching that the Buddha gave. He gave a number of teachings um, uh, called the uh, Satipatthana teachings, uh, the Four Foundations of, of Mindfulness, usually translated, Four Foundations of Recollectiveness. And this is one of those um, core teachings where, in fact, every uh, teaching of liberation <clears throat> ever since has actually um, come from that body uh, of teaching. It's the root. And you can say, it doesn't matter how esoteric the teaching is, whether it's initiation and so on, you can actually trace it to the four foundations um, of mindfulness. And these foundations are important to understand because if you do understand them, you see how naturally uh, wisdom, tranquility and wisdom unfolds in your being. Okay, So I'm going to give you another laundry, a short laundry list tonight, but we're going to use that laundry list to, um, to practice and to understand what's going on. In the normal course of discovery of being an adult, in the course of meditation, the normal way we tend to want to figure out ourselves. Is that right? Who we are, what we are, where do we come from, where are we going to go, what are we going to do in life, how are we going to be happy, what's wrong, what's right. So. But you see, uh, the difficulty is, is you've got some major things that are fairly unknown but appear to be known to you. And you've got two biggies, really two big ones. You've got a thing, a thing, if you wish, some, many people think of this thing, called a self. That's active, correct? An active self. And it references things. It asks questions. It complains. <laughs> it's happy sometimes. It wants to know things. It engages with the world, engages with self. But most of the time, it's engaging with self on self. And the other one, which some people consider to be part of it, but sometimes even separated out, is the body. And when you make this big division, as many people do and have for centuries and centuries and centuries, you have these two big divisions, if you wish, is a mind that experiences and a body that also filters or experiences. And you have a mind and you have a body. Do you ever feel that these... Uh, two natures, two entities need to be understood, need to be 
comprehended, need to be experienced. Yes? But you also know, I think all of you here, that there's really nothing else that we do during the day, day in, day out, all day long, but have body experiences, yes? And mental events. Is that correct? Yeah. Think about it. From morning till night, from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, there are physical sensations of innumerable types. And mental events, mental sensations, mental experience, millions of them, yes? Millions and millions and millions of experiences. Is, is this correct? <coughs> Can we all agree to this? Pretty st straightforward, isn't it? <coughs> but what is it? The funny thing about a human being is it feels it knows. Isn't that a funny thing? It feels it, it has a self. And if I say to you, um, isn't that cool about, you know, um, that you have awareness? Yeah. Awareness, yes. And that you have a mind? Mm -hmm. And consciousness? Mm -hmm. And if I say, how about your, how you're, how's yourself doing today? Go, mm -hmm. But what do we know about it? You say, well, we don't need to know anything about it. I've got a body. It responds, it functions, I've got a self, it experiences, yes? But do you have times in your life where it's a, not only a mystery, it's a, you know, English, conundrum, it's even a problem, and have you ever experienced either the body or the so-called mind of yourself as a great difficulty? How many people here can be honest enough to say, Sometime in your life, I know long ago, that the body and the mind has become an issue. Shall we say an issue? Let's be political. An issue. A serious difficulty. A conundrum that needs to be figured out. Or you need to go to, for help to get the car fixed. Or the boat is sinking. Anybody ever kind of had the boat sinking? Yeah? Yeah. No. I mean either the body or the mind. Sinking. Sinking. You do know, and maybe some of the people in the room know this, that for millions and millions and millions of people right now, that sinking, that body on the rocks, the mind in great difficulty, great consternation, great upheaval, is a daily experience. Is that correct? Daily. Not just something that happens occasionally, but daily. And for so-called normal, well-adjusted neurotic folks, daily. Big upheavals. Big worries disturbances that they can't figure out, doing battle, and then not. So what's going on here? How many of you have tried to tackle? Do you know if I use the word tackle? How many of you have tried to actually tackle your unruly mind? Have you tried it? Kind of like throwing gasoline at it and lighting a match. Have you tried to bring it under control? 
by talking to it, <laughs> by doing something to control it. And how successful is that? You wouldn't be here, would you? Isn't that something? We try to talk to it. We try to reason with it. I'm okay. You'll be okay. That anxiety, no, come on, come on, put it away. Does it? No, it does it when it wants to, doesn't it? Yeah. It runs on like this. And you try to stop it. You try to do things. <laughs> or something, yeah. Something like that. And, but it doesn't. And then all of a sudden, oh, it's gone. Have you ever had days of upheaval? Yeah? And it's just your friends, right? Your friends. Buddies. Your buddies, yeah. Just, no, but, day, but you've, you've, you've seen people who've had days of, of upheaval, yeah? not yourselves. Yeah. Something. So if you, have you learned by now that trying to actually tackle, like in a football game, tackle, right? Your mental processes is fairly futile. That was discovered a long time ago. <laughs> you can put it away. That was discovered 2,500 years ago. Useless activity. That's like trying to put out a fire with gasoline or kerosene. So where to start? Then you'll say, okay, listen. It's fairly straightforward. To know thyself, it's much easier to go at it through the physical, right? Isn't it? There's something here. You see, trying to handle mental processes is like trying to capture clouds, yeah? But you see, the physical, it's so direct, yeah? You can do, I can all do that, right? Tap your head. Quite certain that there's something there, right? You're quite certain there's something there. Very good. And you can wiggle your, you can move your fingers and go, okay, I can. Pretty cool. So you've got a body, right? And you've got a mind, right? Mental processes. Would you all agree to that? kind of mind and mental processes. And once you've got that established, it's pretty much done. Body, mental processes. But has that solved anything for you? How about somebody that knows so much about their body? It's so in tune with their body. Perhaps a professional dancer. A ballet dancer, maybe, maybe 10, 15 years of ballet training. Really in tune with their body, yes? Don't laugh too hard. Okay. Not. So let's say you knew all Say, how many people, is anybody, anybody trained as a doctor here? Yeah? How about a neurophysiologist? How about a cell biologist? Anybody in the room? 
even if you're trained a lot in physiology, do you know your body? Do you know your body? But you can certainly name the parts. And you can sometimes figure out what's going wrong and save a life. But does that actually lead, no matter how many names and parts and physiological processes you know, and study perception, and study cognition, does that make you a free being? Does that free you of mental turmoil? Anybody want to hazard a guess? Isn't that extraordinary? You could study what we know about neurophysiology. You could study what we know about cognition. You could study what we know about sociology and anthropology and what we know about psychology and what we know about all kinds of things, mental processes, which is extraordinary. Does that make you happier? No. It does not. Don't take it from me. Go, go interview people who do this as a profession. No. Would you say it's easier to study, if you're going to study yourself, is it easier to study the mental processes that you've got going, the mental experience, or would it be easier to study physical sensation? Which one? Which one do you feel you can get a handle on better? Physical sensation. How many, let's, let's have a vote. It's democratic. Physical sensation or mental processes? Okay. So the two of you, or three of you, are in the minority. The rest of you feel quite certain about physical processes. Yes? Yeah. Okay. Well, it turns out that 2,500 years ago, when the Buddha was teaching, he discovered the same thing. He discovered, in fact, that it's much, much harder to start with mental processes than it is with physical process. To actually observe mental process for a lot of people is very difficult to do. There isn't the tranquility, there isn't the mindfulness, there isn't the investigative power to handle it. It's very slippery. Do you know what I mean by that? Slippery. It moves very quickly. It's rapid, very, very rapid change. It can vanish you can wonder what it was, like, like fast-moving clouds or even like, uh, like lightning moving through. But a physical sensation often stays hmm? long enough to observe. Okay. So it makes sense and has made sense for many uh, uh, centuries that to start off and, and have a foundation of observational skill about this entity, okay? whatever this is, it makes sense. So just I could go through all kinds of reasons, and I will a bit, but take it on, on confidence for now, that thousands and thousands of practitioners have found that it, it's a much more direct route to develop sati, your investigative skills, your curiosity, as a route through by starting with the physical, the, what, what's, what appears to be a physical sensation. Otherwise, it's very, very tricky. Yes. Is an emotion physical or 
You tell me. Isn't it extraordinary? How many emotional events do you have in a day? Just emo- I mean, positive or negative, just emotional moments of emotion. I'm not talking about even floods or emotional upheavals. How many do you think? Constant. What do you know about them? It's interesting. The question you're asking is, isn't that something all your life? And you're, not, you're still asking, what is it? Isn't that an extraordinary thing to, to have this experience over and over and over again? And there's still the question of, is it mental or is it physical or is it both? Isn't that extraordinary? Well, it seems sometimes you have to do the emotional work before a door can open to receptivity. And the emotional thing can cause resistance. But how about studying it as a phenomenon? Okay. So... If you have a cup, we can all do this. How many people do you think have ever taken the time, hour after hour after hour, to treat an emotional experience not as something as mine, but what actually is by direct observation for days to go, I have a pretty good idea what this is. Isn't that something? Something that we live with. Hour after hour, day after day, and we still go, I'm, what is this? Amazing, isn't it? So how are you going to find out? What are the tools you're going to need? Investigation. Investigation. How are you going to tease this apart? Because this is the number one concern of people in the West. It's amazing. My emotions. I can go to almost every public talk and they, someone, what do I do about my emotions? What is, what's an emotion? I'm plagued by emotions. I'm plagued by thoughts and emotions. What am I going to do about it? Have you investigated it? How are you going to investigate it? Hmm? Check the sensation, start with sensation. So this is the path. This is the path. However, I want to caution all of you, before I enter into the investigation of emotion, I want to caution all of you that the path of liberation, the, the, the path of Buddhist meditation and liberation, is not psychotherapy. I want to caution you on this. I'm very strong on this point. Nothing against psychotherapy. It's not a psychotherapeutic thing. You're not here to clear up your emotions. Do we have this as an understanding? You're here to awaken the clear, resplendent mind, which is an emotion. You're not here to do emotions in. You're here to discover what a free, clear mind is, which is an emotion. We don't kill off emotions. We find out and support which emotions are conducive to freedom, conducive to liberation. Very important. 
the attitude, which is, I have bad emotions, I'm plagued by emotions, and I must clear them up, misses, tremendously misses, the heart of liberation, the heart of, of love, love and compassion. So today it's very, very common to turn Buddhism, Buddhism as a path of liberation, into a psychotherapeutic enterprise of I'm flawed, I'm bad, and I must get better. But for a lot of people, that's where they start. You're already better. You've been better for a long time. Start there. You have to identify that which is positive about you, that which is rich, and glorious about you and stop focusing on that which is a hindrance and that which is sin. You know, sin in Latin is lack, that which you lack. So I'm going to give you an exercise, because you said that, I wasn't, I was, I'm planning to do this, but here's, here's something. Would you please make sure that, that over a week period you, you write down what your positives are in detail? And catch them, note them. What are your positives? Drop the negatives. Note clearly what are your positive attributes. What is good about your being? And study it. Don't be fuzzy about it. So the fuzzy ones is they keep a mental note of it. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty good, I'm pretty good about this. I'm pretty good about that. Not good enough. Detail it. Detail it. Yeah. Don't write a novel. Just detail it. Yeah. So we're not really interested in emotion. We're interested in freedom. But for some peculiar historical re- historic reason, Westerners are really hung up on this thing called emotion, like a plague, the emotional plague. This has a lot to do with conditioning. What do you have during the day? Let's be really clear about this. What do you have during the day? What are you? You know, in science, it, like if you, if you study physics, we want to get really down to the most elemental qualities that we can, we can, we can get our hands on. What are you? What, now, talking about direct experience, throw it all that you've learned. Okay? Throw it away. Not this bad. It's not at all. Let's become completely elemental. Mental. What is it that you have as experience all day long? Can we... Uh, something on the board. I want, it's so, I want you to be so pristinely simple. I want this to be a, a particle physics class, a quantum electrodynamics class. Let it, let's, let's go and reduce it to such pristine level of what is actually experienced, not what we make believe. Okay, let's do that. It's called insight meditation.
what, hap what do we have as experience all day long that every single person in this room can agree to? Okay, let's, let's, let's start with that. We all have a heartbeat. What is the experience of a heartbeat? No, what came from here? Yes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I forget your name. Anita. Anita. Oh, it was, it was Teague? We both said it. We both said it at the same time. I thought, yeah. When you have the experience of a heartbeat, what is it? What is it? Now, these, these two fine folks here, what is that experience? For instance, if one has an itch in the foot, what's the difference between an itch in the foot and a heartbeat? Would you say they're both sensations? Yeah. How do you know you have a heartbeat? It's a sensation. And it's given a name called a heartbeat. That's it? Is that right? How about the fact that it's constant? But it's not constant in your experience. That's true. You don't know it's constant. You've been told it's constant. <laughs> and it changes all the time. And certainly if you go into really lovely deep retreat, you're going to get really concerned from time to time because you're going to start to really notice it. And you're going to see how unconstant it is. But what now? now you, so you pick up the sensation of a heartbeat and you're going, oh my goodness, I've got a heartbeat. What is it? It's a vibration. But do you have vibrations all over your body? You do. What do you have other than vibrations through your sense organs? What is a heartbeat other than the experience of touch? What is it other than the experience of touch? Let's try this for a minute. You see, so in meditation, in insight meditation, you're not allowed to say heartbeat. Why? Heartbeat's an assumption of what it is. You've never seen your heart. Isn't that right? But you've been told you have a heart. What is it that you really have? A concept about what? A concept about a pulsation, a concept about a vibration, a concept about a sensation that's been picked up and filtered in the mind. Yes? Would you all agree to that? Yes. Hmm? And if you're quiet, sometimes it sounds louder or feels louder. Yes? And sometimes when you're not quiet, it's not there at all. Correct? Mm -hmm. But what is it? What can we all agree that that heartbeat is? Remember, we're in Nessa physics class. It's an insight meditation physics class. It's none other than a sensation. Would we all agree on that? Do we need to make it a heartbeat? Do you know I know people who have come to me in retreats and said, like a proud warrior. Like, really, like a trophy? I got my heartbeat. I go, so what? Like they come in like after a month, they go, 
can you hear your kidneys moving? Can you, do you get that little of stuff moving through your intestines? Can you hear your pee? You know, so, so what? Good, good for you. But it's like a trophy these days, you know? I can hear my heartbeat. Great. I'm not using a stethoscope. Congratulations. We've been told a story, though, about how special our heart is. That's right. And but so if you go study in the East and you go before an insight meditator, they'll say, go back to work. So what? So you have a heart. You also got a brain. Do you hear your brain? Can you feel your brain? Can you feel your kidneys? Your liver? Oh, your pancreas. See, so it's a question of what matters. So now, this is very, uh, so now you've picked up your heartbeat, so-called, a sensation heartbeat. What has that done for you? No, because I know people now who for years go, I can hear my heartbeat every time I meditate. I can hear my heartbeat. I go, so what? What, what, what has that, are you a happier being? No, but they have, they're latched onto a sensation. What other sensations have you latched onto? Taste. taste? What, what trophy can you bring me about taste? Truffles? <laughs> chocolate? Dark chocolate? Is dark chocolate any really any different than a truffle? What is it? What's the difference between a truffle, a dark chocolate, white chocolate, sugar, Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola, beer, and a waffle? Tell me, what's the difference? And if you have your eyes closed, half the time you won't even know. Oh, you can let me know when you can tell the difference between a Yerga Chaffee and, and a Guatemalan. Okay. <laughs> what are all those experiences? Sensation of taste, correct? Yes. And aroma, smell. Does that get us any further? You know, I wasn't even going to talk about this tonight. This is wonderful. Does it get us any further towards liberation to be able to differentiate a Guatemalan from a Honduras coffee towards liberation? (laughs) I I thought sensory awareness was an important aspect of the path. It is. Liberation in itself, but that somehow having the sense doorways open and being able to do those distinctions. That's right, it is. Was in general important, not in the specific. It is. But, it, but it, it, if you keep collecting, it doesn't necessarily bring you to liberation. It won't bring you to liberation. No matter how many sensations you can get, I mean, I know people, they're amazing. They can not just listen to the heart, but they can tell you, they'll tell you. They can tell you how their kidneys are doing and how their liver's doing and how this is doing and they can feel this muscle over here, right? And this muscle over here, you, you get to meet them. And this muscle over here, muscle. But it hasn't cleared up anything at all. And they can do it for years. So it's not the collecting, it's the, the process of investigation that we're talking about. Yeah. Do you have clear discernment of what? sensation. How do you know you have a heart? You've been told you have a heart. Does it matter that you have a heart? 
not for liberation. Isn't that interesting? Not for liberation. Do you know you have a brain? How many people here can feel their brains right now? Come on. Yeah? Do you feel your brain? Well, you feel some tight. <laughs> Something <laughs> tight here, muscles? <laughs> no, it's not. It's all over the body. So you see, even if you say, I felt my brain, are you a happier being? <laughs> I, I, I do this. I'm actually teaching very classic Buddhist way of teaching. This is, this is like monastic teaching. Right? We go through step by step by step to dismantle. Right? It can take a long time because we need to go through it until you go, oh my God. So you can collect a lot of trophies, but it won't make you happier. What's the purpose of refined sensation, of refined pickup of sensation? So right now, tell me about how many sensations you have that you can pick up. Which ones? Let's do it. Feet. Feet. Okay, good. Feet. Temperature. Hmm? Temperature. Where? Belly feet. Belly feet. Anybody else? Cold. Where? Belly. Pretty good. Any others? Hmm? Tingling in the arm. Tingling in the arm. Anybody feel their bum on the seat? Yes. Yep. Good. Maybe their hands or their, their legs or their uh, arms touching an armrest or something like that? Yeah. Can you hear the sound of the fan? Yeah. Sight. Sight, yep. Good. You're alive. We could do this for years. We could. We could do this for years. But you see... What does that do for us? It energizes somehow. Like the whole room is totally energized right now. We're waking up. So what would happen if you just feel with your fingertips? Pretty good. What would happen if you felt major areas of your body? Have you ever had that? Like not just your feet but right through your legs. Have you all had this? Mm-hmm. Or your arms streaming with sensation? Mm-hmm. You've had this, yes? Mm-hmm. Or your head just alive and mm-hmm. full of sensation, yes? Have you had your belly that way, warm and glowing? Yeah? Mm-hmm. Have you felt your torso just alive with sensation? Mm-hmm. What happens? when the whole body is engaged in sensation, not just hearing, not just tasting, not just seeing, not just smelling, not just the fingertip, but the whole body is streaming with sensation. What's that like? It's orgasmic, isn't it? It depends on the sensation. Yeah, it does. And what would you say when that happens? When When that's happened to you, what is the term we sometimes use? You feel alive, right? Alive. Guess what we call that in meditation? 
the whole body breathing. That's what it's called. That's a full body breath. That's a full body breath. The full body, the full sensation body, the arms, the legs, the fingers, right to the toes, the eyeballs, the mouth, uh, the scalp of the head, the whole body is alive and full of sensation. And it feels good. And boy, are you focused. So in terms of tranquility, we need that. Not just a little bit of breath here, a little bit of breath sensation there. We need a full permeation. Full permeation. Why? We've got to become alive. We have to get back breathing. But it still doesn't liberate. So number one, let's write this up here. Number one, Raphael Wood up here. Let's put a little box here. It's like remote controlling. Okay, number one, full body of breath, which is sensation. Do you have anything else that you have during the day? Let's, let we're go, remember, this is, new, this is particle physics. This is quantum physics of insight meditation. Do you have anything happening at all in the day but a series of sensations? Tell me. Yes or no? Yeah. Like what? Awareness. How do you know you have awareness? Because I know I have those sensations. What is awareness? How do you know you've got awareness? Sensation. Sensation. <laughs> but we call it mental sensation. It's just another door of the senses. You see how we want to split this off? We got mind stuff and we got body stuff. In the teaching of insight meditation, which is really profound, all that mind or activity is considered simply another sense. And how do you know it's another sense? This is brilliant. Not only brilliant, meditationally, it's going to floor you. This is fun. Most people don't consider their mental events as sensation. Where do you have, how do we prove it's all sensation? Dreaming. Can you be in a dream and have full tactile sensation? Can you be in a dream and have full taste sensation? Perfect. That was a glorious apple. That was the best peach I ever had. You wake up and go, my God, that was magnificent. Can you feel your body in a dream? Yes. Can you feel another person's body in a dream? Yes. Do you believe it now? Or should I keep on going? How far can we go with this? Everything that you have happen, just like this, happens in a dream, yes? Where is this happening? Where is this happening right now? 
because all can happen in a dream just as real. I'm going to leave that for you for a bit. Just going to leave that with you for a bit. Okay. So this is for tranquility. Let's put a T here. T for tranquility. Okay, right here. A T for tranquility. T number one. This is this is the quantum physics of insight. Okay. Now T number two. What happens when you look directly at a sensation? Remember, the mind, your mental events, are also sensations. Correct? But we're not so sure about that yet, so we're going to wait. Okay? What happens to... We don't, you know, we don't want to make a story about sensation. Let's say we're real explorers. What's the first thing we need to know about all sensation? If we watch it. I've got a bag of scorpions. <laughs> what happened to the sensation after it, uh, the, the scorpion hit your skin? Um, it, there, was, there was like a just like going out. Is it still there? Is the sensation still there? Yes. How, how come it's not there anymore? Is the sensation there, or are you holding on to the sensation? Do you have a memory of the sensation? The of the sensation. So you don't have the sensation yeah. anymore, but you have a memory of the sensation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do I need to do that again, or you got it? I got it. Okay. <laughs> it's very confused with people, isn't it? What happens? What's the nature of all sensations? What do they do? And it fall. Do any sensations last the same way all through your life? No. Are you still having the sensation? Only because you asked me, and I can bring it back. Which one's more real? Which one's more real? The memory or the actual sensation? Or would you say there's any difference? What's the difference? When you're in a dream, is the sensation real or unreal? When you're having a sensation now, how do you know it's real or unreal? And how can you distinguish whether the sensation is a memory or so-called the real thing? becomes kind of tough, isn't it? You close your eyes, you can see, you see. But this may not be a problem at all. Absolutely. None at all is not a problem. So what are we trying to do for liberate? We want to know what is a sensation. Not necessarily technically what is a sensation. We don't necessarily have to follow all the neural pathways. We don't need to know that kind of detail. What do we need to know about sensation? The big picture. It comes and it goes. What else do we know by direct experience? Okay? So number one, number two, is sensation, body sensation does what? It comes and it goes. 
Correct? Would we all agree upon that? Great. Is there any need to be really concerned about, Joanna, about sensation if it comes and goes? How, now let's ask another question because you're going to have to, this is your homework. How continuous is that sensation? Pick any sensation and you go investigate by directly feeling it. How continuous? Does it last a second? Does it last half a second continuously? Does it last a minute? Does it last two minutes? Does it last 10 minutes? Does it stay the same? Does it come? Does it go? What happens when you're distracted? Is the sensation there or does it vanish? Or when you reapply your focus to that sensation, does it reappear? You need to find this out because you've been hoodwinked. You know hoodwinked? Yeah, hoodwinked. It's a Western Mysteries, they put a hood over you. Yeah, you've been hoodwinked. How long does the sensation last before it changes? Is this 17 mind moments. <laughs> 17 mind moments. It's very fast. How long do people normally experience a sensation lasting? They say, my emotional state, my pain, my discomfort. Hmm? Years? Years. Years. Isn't that something? Years? And yet, if you were to look at it with any kind of direct mindfulness, sati, you would find out it comes and it goes and it has no constancy, except the mind makes it constant. It labels it as constant. Why? Because we catalog everything. This is one of the wonderful, unique human properties, is we name and catalog things. Right? So we can go back and get them. We can, but it causes problems. <laughs> it certainly does. <laughs> because we don't have the discernment to differentiate the subtleties that this is actually different. So every chair in this room is a blue chair. We do. Well, blue chair, blue chair, blue chair, blue chair, blue chair. They're all the same. Are any of the chairs the same in this room if you were to examine them? Who would say that every chair is the same chair even though they look quickly the same? Would you say that any chair is the same in the room? And if you, is it Sarah? Sarah, if you got really close to these chairs, really close, and you spent time with each chair, wouldn't you find out that each chair is quite unique, even though it came out of a factory? Each chair is incredibly unique. Right? But what has, what has to happen to have that experience where every chair is unique even though they are from the same manufacturer and they were probably delivered here all at the same time. What are you going to have to do to go, that's an amazingly unique chair? Investigation, discernment, attention, joy, and interest. We had a remarkable experience. I'll just share this with you. A lovely experience. In a lab in... in, uh, in um, Christchurch, Raphael and myself, we were growing a, a cell called uh, a diatom, uh, grows in the ocean. We grew uh, cells 
for an experiment called distal and bright wellii. And the distal and bright wellii we were growing, we started with single cells into a culture broth in a, in a, in a flask this big, plastic. And we had a big volume of growth um, uh, salt water, growth medium. We put one single cell in and came back into the incubator, pulled it out, looked under the microscope, and in about seven, eight days, how many cells do you think we had? Tens of thousands. Tens of thousands. That's a clone of one single cell. They've all reproduced. Beautiful, by the way, to look at under a microscope. But after looking at Dittl and Brightwellii for years, we both had the same epiphany, same revelation. This cell that is no longer than about, oh, maximum size, about 120 microns. 160 is the largest. So these cells were mostly around 60, one thousandths of a millimeter. Every one of them looked different. Wasn't that something? Every single, we were looking at hundreds of thousands of cells per culture. And every, this, this happened to us both at the same time. We went, oh my God, every one is unique. They all look different and we could tell by looking at them. They all were different, even though it's a single-celled organism that looks exactly the same, just like a chair, like a blue chair. And because we spent so many hours looking at these cells and studying them, we could tell each one was unique. That was a wonderful experience, by the way. Wonderful experience. It happened to, to us both about around the same time. Do you ever repeat the same sensation? But do you know that? Now you see the difference is, I can tell you that story. I can describe chairs to you. But do you know by doing this enough, by direct experience on your own body, your own body sensations, that every single sensation is a unique experience? No, because the next time a sensation comes around that's a stomach ache or a heart palpitation, you go, oh, what is that? Or a pain, oh my God. Or, or you get hit by a, um, a scorpion. <gasps> what was that? It's a sensation. Okay? Because we want a story about it. We want, a, we want to have a story. What is the real story? It's a sensation that the mind makes a label about and calls it a scorpion. Do you think it's a scorpion? But you don't know, do you? So what would happen if I went like this? <laughs> would you like to hold a scorpion? Close your eyes. Close your eye. Close your hand. Mm -hmm. Bring it up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now open your hand. Is he? But if I, if you were convinced of a scorpion, you'd see a scorpion, wouldn't you? You'd see a scorpion. And if I, if I actually said it's a very, very poisonous scorpion, yeah, the stories would get really large. Mm 
subtle. T2, insight. What do we know? What's the thing we actually know by direct personal experience, not what you learn, about sensation? Body sensation comes and goes a number three, and let's say two, two B. All bodily sensations are unique. Every one of them is going to be a unique, different sensation. It will never, ever be the same again. What would that say about your body from moment to moment? It's never the same from moment to moment. What does it appear to you as? A solid mass from day to day that appears to be a Barry or a Jamie. Yeah? Or even a Nancy. Maybe. <laughs> Do you see how preposterous this is? Because the mind has very little training in discernment and observation of this which you carry around, you think it's with you, it's fooled into believing that the body is remaining relatively unchanged day after day and is about the same body. One, we don't look in mirrors. We never see ourselves in mirrors, by the way. Have you looked at a photograph lately? Have someone take a photograph of you and go look at it and say, is that what you feel you look like? Have you tried that? And you go, who is that? The image that you have is not what's in the photograph. And people don't ever see you the way you see yourself. So when we talk about insight for liberation, we strip all the stories away. For what purpose? Not to become unemotional, to get real. We're not going to do it by making up stories. We have to find out actually what's the direct experience. What's the direct experience? Sensations come and go, and each sensation is absolutely unique. Do you know anything else? Now listen, the stories come out. Do you know anything else but that? Anything else? How about pain? Are you sure that pain's pain and pleasure's pleasure? Have you ever had a pain that's turned to pleasure? Ever had pleasure that's turned to pain? Ever been pain, have a pain and then been distracted and it vanishes? Maybe a good bottle of scotch? That can help. <laughs> it's very interesting. My, my mother, about two, two and a half weeks, two weeks before she passed away, dying of cancer, wonderful doctor taking care of her, palliative care doctor, specialist, wonderful fellow. And he sat down with her and said, you know, what do you like to do? What? And she was talking about certain things. Said, but do you like scotch? 
say, do you like scotch? Yeah, actually. Do you have good scotch in the house? But not only was it good scotch, he wanted to know what brand. Because he was very specific about what constitute good scotches. So if you're going to have scotch, drink really good scotch. Then we went on to coffee. He wanted to make sure that if my mother was drinking coffee, it was really excellent coffee. So, and made really well. It's basically saying, have anything you like. But enjoy your life as if it's going to be going on forever. Just enjoy. Like a hangover, yeah. That, does that, that applies to every moment because we don't, we don't know. What do, what do you know? Okay, let's strip it bare. What do you know right now? What do you know about your body? It was not. Yes. But even that, for most people, they're not sure about. Because emotionally, they don't react that way. Emotionally, they don't act as if they'll die. Let's say, can all of you feel your bum? Are you sure you can feel your bum? What is it you're feeling? Sensation. And yet, it's called a bum. <laughs> but you don't know that, do you? You don't even know that. So you see there's some training involved here. And how fast do these sensations happen? How many sensations do you think are happening a second? Registering of cessation. A hundred times that, a thousand times that. So what are you really picking up? The occasional gross manifestation that gets filtered and discerned. And that's about it. Of what total is that? What percentage? Minuscule amount of sensation, a minuscule amount of information over an entire body of sensation. Extraordinary, isn't it? And you pick out one or two. Now I'm going to be draconian. You pick out one or two per minute, and you say you know something about your body. Isn't that insane? Isn't that a definition of madness? I feel my bum, therefore I am. <laughs> I had to say that. I just had to do that. Deep philosophy. I can feel my bum, therefore I am. How many sensations do you have that tell you that's your body? Right now. But how many do you have? Just try it. Close your eyes. I know I said keep your eyes open. Close your eyes. And pick up some sensations. Tell me right just like this. Which sensations? 
And you call that a body? <laughs> Are you nuts? <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And you say, that's my body? How about this? Oh, my neck, my neck hurts. This is the soul, and then you go around being miserable for the day. My neck hurts. You know, this is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Once in uh, New Zealand, we had a, um, an afternoon session of uh, movement and then meditation and movement and meditation. We might get there. Maybe tomorrow we'll do that. Movement, meditation. And this one young lady, uh, this is after a number of hours, and she stands up like this. And I'm looking around the room. There's the same number of people like this, same size room. And she's glowing. Most people are glowing. And I went around, how do you feel? And oh, really good. How do you feel? Really good. How do you feel? Really good. I got this person, how do you feel? Because they're, they're like, like this, you know? Awful. <laughs> I said, you don't look awful. And people were like, don't look awful. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I don't feel good. How, well, how was, how was the last hour of, uh, of movement, of expression? Not very good. Didn't add up, you see. Didn't add up at all. So you see, when these things don't add up, I probe. (laughs) I investigate. So tell me why you look radiant, but you're not at all happy. Because your whole body shows it, that you're happy. But she's going on a little bit. Well, it wasn't. It was very uncomfortable. No, No, wait a minute. Why is uncomfortable, but your body doesn't exhibit uncomfortability? It was a a difficult hour. It doesn't add up. Guess what it was? She had to pee. So then she says, I said, what is it? I have to pee. So I said, because you have to pee, the whole hour was a write-off. You see? This is disassociation. So the one sensation of peeing became her. And yet everybody could see that she had basically de-aged by about 10 years. She's glowing. Beautiful. She's radiant. And yet, what was she focusing on? A sensation of having to pee as being an uncomfortable, unpleasant experience. Isn't that something? So who was she at that point? How would you label this being? The pee lady. She became her bladder. And yet her other, all her other body was saying, I'm in radiance. I'm in joy. That was a great moment. People were just astonished. How can she be? Can't she feel what she looks like? How many times do you think this happens in our culture? I am unhappy. What part of you? I'm a miserable person. What part of you? I'm in pain. Well, what part? Oh, my my little toe. Oh, so you're in pain because your little toe is in pain. Is this... Making sense? So what would happen if you had a lot of discernment? A lot of equanimity and a lot of precision in mindfulness. 
you could then go make an identification and say, the toe hurts with a smile on your face. The elbow is very sore. There's a severe backache. I have a lovely infection today, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go to a hospital and spend time in wards and go visit with people and ask them how they're doing. And some people are dying and they have, they're radiant. You say, are you in pain? Terrible pain. And they have a smile on their face. Or they're sick. Or they just had heart surgery. Talk to them. They're in a really good state. The next person's swearing. Who are you based on your sensations? Which one do you want to pick? So you see body. Let's put here. Body. Mindfulness of body is so crucial because the fooling, the absolute delusion of body is immense. It's absolutely immense. The delusion around body and body sensation. It's huge. And it doesn't matter how many, uh, how fine your discernment is, how many, how many muscle groups you can identify, that still won't do it. You have to see through it. How, what, so what's important now? Number three, T, T uh, 2C, because we're in insight now. Who are you in relationship to your body sensation? In other words, the image of you and the body. That has to be cleared up. How are you going to clear this up? By gaining enough experience with what, it, with what sensation is to cut through the delusion that your sensation is you. Have you ever put a smile on your face and all of a sudden your whole body changes? <coughs> Just gone like this? You go, wow, I feel good. Before I wasn't, now I am. Which, which one are you going to pick as you? Which, which one is your body? Miserable body? Happy body? It's preposterous, isn't it? A complex of, of at least 100 trillion cells of which only 7 or 8% are human. Okay? And you're calling it you. It's preposterous. It's mad. And you know what? If you keep that view, you're mad. You want to know why beings are mad? Because they have that view, and it's a preposterous view. They cling. Now let's use the word clinging because it's the root of suffering. <coughs> clinging to body sensation as if it's you, as if it's yours, as that it makes you what you are for that moment is a definition of insanity. When you know something about the body through direct experience.
even intellectually, you'd say, that's nuts. Would you say that an ache, okay, let's, now let's get down to things that you're interested in, because you're not interested in sore toes. You're not interested in sore knees and elbows, are you? Or even a toothache. But I know what you're interested in. Heartache. Aren't you? My heart hurts. Right? I feel anxious. I'm burning, let's, let's use these words, burning with jealousy. Angry as a, help me out here, as a house on fire. <laughs> I don't know. I was going to say a locomotive on fire or something like that. Okay. Isn't this nuts? It's crazy. But what are most people when they come to a meditation retreat or come to a session like They're concerned about mostly this. I don't feel good. I don't feel good. And if you ask them to point their finger at what doesn't feel good, they usually go here, right? Or here. But mostly here. I don't feel good. I'm anxious. You watch their hand usually. I'm anxious. The other day I was watching someone like this, walking around like this. What are you holding your hands like that for? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Getting a clue about emotion? Yeah. <laughs> Sinking in? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, listen to this, I am anxious. Where? Can you identify it? So last time you had some anxiety, which may be right now as I'm talking to you. <laughs> you really worried. Where is the sensation? Or is it happening so fast and is such a muddied mess of perception that you go, I'm anxious. But if you were to slow it down and develop some, some good sati, what would you do? Sensation right here is a disturbing, uncomfortable sensation. Is it in your foot? Nope. In the back of your thighs? Nope. In your bum? Nope. Crown of your head? Nope. In your nose? Nope. Ears? No. Fingertips? Anxious? Nope. Forefinger? Anxious? No. In your eyeballs? No. In your tongue? No. In your elbow? No. Oh, how about in your uh, lower back? Maybe. So we hone in. And usually where is it? You feel uncomfortable here. Can you feel that? uncomfortable here. And what is it? It's you, isn't it? You're anxious, right? But are you? Are your toes anxious? Are your ankles anxious? Are your calves anxious? Are your knees anxious? Not necessarily. What's anxious? What's anxious? You've now made a label that says, I'm worried, I'm anxious. What is anxious? Making sense? What is anxious? You have a story. The story's a monster. But it's not true. 
where's the I in it? Where's the sensation located? All over your body? Your sum total of your body? Or in a localized area that you call you? Is it dawning? Lack of training. Lack of discernment. No mindfulness to be able to discern the phenomena as if you were going and bird watching. So it's very peculiar. I know people that go and bird watch, and they're very good naturalists. But when it comes to their physical sensations and their emotions, it's pretty pathetic. And yet they're naturalists. I know even some doctors and physiologists that have very disturbing time with their body. But boy, when it comes to uh, cataloging and discerning differences in taxonomy, fantastic. So do you see how important this is? Look at these lists. Do you have these lists operating when you say, I'm anxious? When there's an emotional upheaval, because that's what most people are interested in these days, emotional upheavals, do you have this operating, or is it shut down and it goes instantly to the story, I'm an anxious being, I'm a worry being, I'm a neurotic being, whatever label. You know what people say to me? They're just like this, sitting and going, oh, you know, I'm a, I'm a hate type. Just like that. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm hate type. Yeah, it's my normal way in which I do things. I'm a hate type. Oh, yeah. Just because they got a label now, they they know they're a hate type. They're just full of hate. Really, isn't that extraordinary? Feel good now that you're a hate type, or whatever type. Does it make any sense? No, no. And yet, when you leave here tonight, even though you may understand this, when you leave here tonight, what happens when the next sensation comes along? You think it's real. You're going to say, oh my God, what, what's happening to me? Cool, isn't it? I find this fascinating. <laughs> You need to become a good taxonomist of phenomena of your body. Not label with names. I think that's my kidney. I think that's my heart. You don't need to know that. You don't need to know that. You need to know what happens to a sensation. You don't even know. You need ultimately to know what is a sensation. Although I can tell you that. You have to get real. And to get real is going to take training. Not textbook training. Enough hours, like playing a musical instrument or learning a language, where you study it without stories until it becomes incredibly clear to you what it is. And if it isn't, what do you do? You keep on until it becomes incredibly clear. Otherwise, the minute you leave and you have a sensation, you're going to freak out. 
Scorpions. It smells good, doesn't it? it smells good. It's one of Jamie's roasts. Roast scorpions. <laughs> Roasted scorpions, oddly enough, smell very much like Brazilian coffee beans. <laughs> if you're in the Uffizi Gallery in Firenze, and you see one painting after, you see the Vermeers, and you see the Leonardo da Vinci's, you keep going, making catalogs of these different names. Do you know anything about paintings? What are you going to have to do to know something about painting? Paint. You're going to have to paint. Collecting emotions and labeling emotions is not the same as knowing what emotion is. You're going to have to go down way into the depths, way into the depths, and actually disassemble it. So, Johanna said something about thoughts. Didn't you say something about thoughts and emotions? But you did say something. You're, you're, you're saying that there's some thoughts here. Okay? So we'll get, to, we'll get to this tomorrow. Would you all say that emotions have a physical component? Yeah. Have you? Yes? Would you say that you have emotions that only have a mental component? How many people in the room? I know this is dangerous because you're going, I'm being tricked. <laughs> Does anybody, you can say, okay, safe, safe here. Right? No, no, there's no marking, there's no examination. You're not being recorded. Do you have emotions that are only mental events? Only mental events. Okay, let's try, let's try it this way. Do you have any... Let's try it this way. Do you have any mental events that are not connected with a sensation? Do you have any mental events, like a thought? Let's, can you have an innocent thought right now? Just make an innocent thought. Tonight I will go shopping. Yeah, innocent thought. Tonight I will get, to, after the class, I will get in the car and drive home. Okay, how's that? Was it innocent? In the sense of, was there no sensation associated with the thought? None. What would you say? purely mental event disassociated from the body. That depends on your level of discernment. The question is, do you have the sensitivity to pick up the sensation in your body when you have a thought? 
because if you're a really busy mind, you won't actually feel your body and the thought. You'll say, I'm just having a thought, an innocent thought. Try this. Anybody like ice cream? Yeah. Have, a, have an innocent thought. Tonight, you will have a beautiful banana chocolate ice cream. Is there any a sensation associated with that? Yeah. And yet, it could be something as this. Simple as this. Tonight I'll have a uh, banana ice cream with chocolate sauce on it. I'm not having any bodily sensation. That just may mean there's no sensitivity to actually pick up that something's washing through you. So the problem here is not a question necessarily of do you know or not know. It's actually a question of do you have the, have you, do you have the training and the sensitivity and the hours and the expertise to pick up the sensations and the messages and be able to turn mental and physical sensation to the point where you actually tease at it? Or is the mind so busy, so much making stories, that it can't do it? So, uh, if I was to say that wall is beige, now, it, it could be neutral, but if I have an opinion around beige or not, then, then it would actually give it some emotional or physical sensation. And, and, you, and you know, Anita, that if we were to put electrodes on your scalp or do an MRI or a, or a PET, PET scan, we would see areas of the brain light up. And if we measure neurotransmitter activity, so on, we'd see secretions running through your blood. Just because I'm looking at a beige wall. Just because you're looking at a beige wall. That's, that's enough. But and every single color can be measured in terms of a d- different EEG. So, uh, so the point is physiological reaction. And a physiological reaction can trigger a thought whether you know it or not. Because some thoughts are non-thinking thoughts. They're, they're a, like, a, like a sensory thought. Like a view without a thought. We'll get to that. Yeah. When you come in this room, are you being affected physically? Absolutely, whether you know it or not. Every word I say is affecting you physiologically, and there's sensation reactions because of it. Every single word. Just as you're actually, by every postural change in your body, is affecting my body. I'm having sensational changes because of it in everything you do. The motion of the book in in Nancy's hand, the picking up of a cup, the turning of a head, the movement of the eyes, the sticking out of a tongue, the blinking, the eyes when they're shut like this, the heads like this, all affecting this being and shaping 
my physiology, shaping my thoughts. Students shape the teacher. All students control the teacher. True. Just as the teacher is actually affecting change in the physiology and mental state of students. It's back and forth. No separation. Give and take. If a student isn't happy by what's being said, watch out. sometimes. The best one, one of the best, is this while you're talking. This is one of the better ones of controlling the teacher. It's fantastic. That's a fantastic one. All the way through the class. Fantastic. And making sure that you see it. Just. Which is a statement of, would you please finish? When, when, when are you going to be finished? Yeah. And if I've asked, sometimes I point out, I said, oh, I never looked at my watch. That's how disassociated it is. I never looked at my watch. So you see, this word sati is so vital. As my beloved root teacher, Namjoon Rinpoche, once said, I'll never forget, it was so brilliant, it was so lovely, it was so magical, it was one of those great moments, said to a group of people, you know what's wrong with you? It was great. Everybody's going, yeah, I know. Ah. <laughs> you know what's wrong with you? You're not stupid. You're just not well-trained. It was, it was one of those epiphanies, one of those wonderful moments of such direct teaching, is you're not stupid. You're just not well-trained. It would be like walking into an advanced music class and go, I don't know what to do. It's like walking into... Uh, any one of these faculty buildings here, right? And going into a chemistry class, go, I don't know. Or walk. How would you like to walk into one of the biochemistry labs tomorrow or on, on Monday, right? And, and, and uh, go do an experiment. How would you like to sit in front of an, of an electron microscope and say, oh, go to work? Would you be able to? You don't have the training. And yet you beat yourself up for not knowing what emotion is and sorting yourself out. You simply don't have the training. And you've never been given it. Just to make, make some sense. That's all. That's just all it is to it. It was one of those brilliant statements. Hey, stop beating yourselves up and thinking you're stupid. None of you are stupid. You're just not well trained. It's not your profession. And yet, the society tells you that you're supposed to know who you are. The society tells you you should be happy because you buy products. Right? And you get married. 
and you have children. And if you buy a better car, you'll be happy. And if you get a nice job and a career, you'll be happy, right? And so on and so on and so forth. And yet, you find out that's actually not it. Delightful to have children. Could be one of those beautiful experiences. But yet, people have children and they're not happy. People have children and they're happy. But that's not really the core. And yet, everything in the society tells you that when you get a new iPad, you will be happy. Or a new pair of shoes. Or you'll come to a meditation seminar for four days, or three days in an evening, and that will make you happy. You're in a bind. And the bind is, is that you need training, and you need professional training, or at least good amateur training, because many of you are not going to become professional yogis and yogis. Okay? But that doesn't mean you can't be free, profoundly free. But you need really good training. You have a musical instrument, and you simply haven't taken the time to play the musical instrument, even though you got born into a culture that says you need to do very little. Or go see someone else and you'll be happy. Hmm? Even see a teacher. Go see a llama, you'll be happy. Far out. And then you go home and go, or after a week or two weeks, go, still not happy. And I paid $300 and I'm still not happy. <laughs> Darn. So I'll go to the next one. And you could do that for the rest of your life, couldn't you? Go the next weekend and the next weekend and pay whatever it is. And go the next weekend or go to Wangkor or go do this in the retreat. But at some point, you're going to have to make a decision to get like, like as if you played the cello. Anybody want to start playing the cello at, your, at 40 or 50 years old? How many hours are you going to have to put in to do it? Or guitar? Piano? Clarinet? Flute? Learn a new language? How many hours? A day. You're really going to have to engage, aren't you? You're not six years old, you know, anymore. anymore. You're not seven. You know, Barry, you're not seven years old anymore and just able to pick up a cello or a, a violin and just play away, are you? Yeah. No. Even walking's a problem now. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see the dilemma? Been sold a phony bill of goods. It's just a cultural thing. It's okay. It's not your problem. It's not you. But if you think about it just logically for a moment, there's no way you can do this with just an hour a day or an occasional seminar or reading a book. Hmm? It's not real. Even when I go through this with you, this helps you. It helps you understand. But you're going to have to do enough hours of investigation until the physiology goes like this. Wham! And it runs through you and go, got it. And then you have to work on it some more so you really got it. Because those are called flash experiences. Oh, I got it. I love when they come into the teacher. I got it. I got it. I had the experience. I go, good. So now work on it for about three years. Tell me, tell me if it's stable. You know, I worked on, on, hitting a, on getting a note on the clarinet for about six months. 
Yeah, it's a really high note. Da 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 No. Da 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 No. It's a it's a wicked piece by Mozart. You know, it's a wicked, wicked piece by Mozart. Six months I finally hit the note. Then I went, I did it. And then guess what I tried to do? Do it again. And it wasn't there. Da 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 No. Da 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 And then about a week later. There it is. There it is. Aha, I can do it twice in a row. <laughs> About three days later, do it four times in a row. And it took a while until, uh, I've lost it again, by the way, I tried to, well, because I haven't played for a while. Do you see? Until it becomes so deeply uh, ingrained, you can hit it, you can hit it, you can hit it. You know where it is. You just know where it is in your body. It's, you've got a musical instrument, you're going to have to learn how to play it. And it's not going to be occasional. It's got to be all day long, whether you're working, whether you have children, whether you teach, doesn't matter what you do. It's going to have to be a full engagement of being awake. I'm just giving you the bill, I'm just telling you the story, the, the, the way it's going to be. No, no part of my life, no part, no BS. It's the way it's been taught for thousands of years. You're going to have to engage fully. That doesn't mean divorcing your partner. It doesn't mean kicking the kids out of the house. It doesn't mean selling your house right, and moving to a Zen monastery. It doesn't mean you all have to become monks and nuns. It doesn't mean you have to quit work at all. But you're going to have to take periods out in your life called retreat where you're fully engaged 20 hours, fully on. And you're going to have to take your life of whatever you do, and turn it into a laboratory, turn it into a retreat situation, no matter what you're doing, where you're fully unfolding and investigating. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to play the musical instrument well. When you go to the symphony and you're on stage, it's not going to come out well. It's not going to sound very natural. had a fantastic experience. Was it two years ago? Two, three years ago. Uh, a dear friend and, and student uh, from Switzerland, he, he won't mind me telling this, but it's a great story, comes for a two-week retreat at the Dharma Center of Canada. I used to be a professional, many, many, maybe 20 years ago, a professional clar- clarinetist. He now becomes my teacher because I, I just got a clarinet and I've decided to learn clarinet and he shows up. It's wonderful. Professional clarinetist in the retreat says, oh, by the way, uh, I hear you're learning to play the clarinet, if I can be of assistance, I'd be very happy. So, so after two weeks, he, he, he blew in on a little bit to show me some things, but he gave me a whole lesson plan of how to uh, learn on the clarinet. It's wonderful. At the end of the retreat, we're in the little tar cabin having a meal together, and we finish. And I say to, to Michael, here's the clarinet. Would you be so bold as to play something really lovely? He says, I haven't played 20 years. I have, he's repeated it, I have not played in 20 years. But I knew bloody well with that kind of training as a professional clarinist in an orchestra, in the Zurich Orchestra, that it would come out like that, especially after two weeks of meditation. He's a very good meditator. Hmm? Okay. Okay. Warms up. Puts it in on the student instrument. 
and plays a flawless Mozart piece, flawlessly. And he was shocked, flawlessly. Why? Because it was totally natural to his being. Didn't have to think about it. Didn't even have a piece of music to read. Just played it. After 20 years, it was there. Same thing, you want to know the mind. You want to know what is this being to the place where you can play a concerto. You can play a symphony. Just natural. Let it come out. And you can do it. But you have to engage. I think that's plenty for tonight. You, you have a beautiful musical instrument. You just have to get on with it and play it and keep playing it, practicing it. So, beautiful statement by the great Tibetan yogis. Make all of your life a retreat. If you wait for the retreat to do your work, you're in trouble. But if you make all of life your retreat, Every moment is a living moment of meditative awakeness where you practice. And you practice the seven factors of awakening. And you practice the ten uh, um, uh, recollections. You will awaken. You'll awaken. You can't but awaken. You can't but awaken because you're playing the instrument all day long. Okay? So it's like you're awakening all day long. You're awakening all day long. And that is technically in Vajrayana, in the Tibetan schools of Vajrayana, it's called the union of path and fruit. If you want to know the technical meaning, it's not waiting for the fruit. The fruit's already there. It's called the union of path and fruit. Walking the path is the fruit. But if you wait for the fruit, you can wait a very long time. You may as well start right now and eat the fruit. What are you going to do? Let it overripen? <laughs> Leave it out and let it overripen? Let the mango or the... The cantaloupe start to stink? Oh, you may as well start right now. And what did you do today? You started today. And for those who have started before, you started fresh today. Every day fresh. Every day. Every day. Every day. All day long is an experience of lovingly engaged in a retreat of life. You're not retreating from anything. You're going forward. Make all of life your meditation retreat, but you're not retreating from anything. You're fully engaging in the delight and exploration of life in a systematic way. I love when some of the meditation texts say very clearly, and now meditate in a systematic way. 
It doesn't say, now meditate in a sloppy way. Now meditate in a spastic way. Now meditate in a confused way. It says, meditate and unfold in a systematic way. This is systematic. It's not the same as this. waiting for something to happen. You have to go after liberation. You have to purposely engage in wanting to be awake. And go play. And experiment, make mistakes. And you try again. So you're not divorcing from life. You're engaged in life. You're investigating what is it to be alive? What is it to do be good? What is it to be awake? Okay. I said that before. Now I'll shut up. Uh, tomorrow we'll, we'll do um, uh, more combinations of uh, meditation and movement, getting the energies attuned and mindfulness. And I'll carry on with this list of the four foundations of mindfulness so we can unfold it into what's called the mental continuum and out into the experience of phenomena. We don't investigate phenomena and things until we actually sort out physical and mental sensation. You'll be lost, swamped. It's too hard. In the teaching, we don't go investigate cups at all. We don't go and look at cups until we've actually sorted out physical and mental sensation. It's too hard because you don't know what a cup is even though you've been told what a cup is. Once you've been through physical and mental sensations, you're never going to look at a cup again. The same. Mind you, it'll still be a cup. So, 9.30 tomorrow. Let's, conti- let's continue on on this wonderful journey. It's like a magical mystery tour. By this powerful... Teaching of Dharma. May it lead to cessation of suffering for every sentient being, without exception. Idante punikamanga sawakiwango tu, idante punikamanga sawakiwango tu, idante punikamanga sawakiwango tu. May all beings be healthy and happy, may all beings be established in a continuity of freedom, the perfect unity of wisdom and compassion.